All right, here we go. Another brand new Stick to Hockey Live presented by Park Sportsbook. Download the Park Sportsbook app and get a risk-free bet up to $500. And uh, we've got so much to talk about in this episode today. It might be the all-star break, but uh, we're going to have an interesting show today here on Park Sportsbook presents Stick to Hockey Live. Let me tell you about the Park Sportsbook app first. If uh, you want to get into the hockey wagering action, uh, stay tuned because Tones Takes is coming up in this episode. It'll give you some great futures plays as we're kind of on pause until at least Monday when the NHL returns from the All-Star break and then a full schedule uh, there will follow. Stretch run down to the playoffs. Maybe the eight teams in the East are already decided. Maybe positioning is the only thing up for grabs there. In the West, there's playoff positions up for grabs, and that should be a fascinating race to the finish line. But if you want to get on the futures action, you want to get on a game-by-game action, whether it's player performances, goals, first to score, to score in a game, over-unders, money lines, props, parlays, same-game parlays, live in-game betting, it's all available on the Park Sportsbook app. So I, I encourage you to download it, download it ASAP, because you can not only get in on the hockey action, you can also get in on the football action, which is coming up pretty big weekend next week uh, that you can get in on. And obviously, hoops, college and pro, you name it, you can get action on it with the Park Sportsbook app. And you just got to download it. No promo code required. Uh, open up an account, deposit, and your first bet risk-free up to $500. And do yourself a favor, make sure that you um, follow the Park's social accounts, at Park Sportsbook on Twitter. Uh, we're on Instagram. We're on YouTube. We're on Facebook. You get all this content there. You get the IG's content there, all of Natalie Eganoff's content there, Sam Wilson's content there, Rich Gannon, Mike Quick, Eddie Alvarez. It goes on and on. Great content, and it's available on all the Park Sportsbook social media channels. So, again, at Park Sportsbook on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube as well. And you can check out all the great uh, stuff that we're putting out uh, via the Park Sportsbook Presents series. And uh, Flyers will be back in action coming up on Wednesday when they take on Detroit. Uh, they'll have to find a way to find positives to get out of this second half of the season. Can they do that? We shall see. Uh, there's some elements there that you could see. Players like Cam York, Morgan Frost, maybe Isaac Ratcliffe. Maybe we see even more. Uh, players come up, maybe Lena Sandine gets back up and can show something at the NHL level. Uh, it be storylines to look out for, not to mention the trade deadline and much more. But we decided on this episode because yesterday was National Women in Sports Day. And I love what her Twitter bio says. Let me just read this for you before I bring her on, because it's it's <laughs> it's funny because it's kind of a motto I live by as well. And she says, I watch, I watch hockey like the like it's my job. Oh, wait, it is my job. And she loves to talk hockey. And she joins us right now. It is from EliteProspects.com. It is Julie Robenheimer. Julie, how are we doing? We're good over here. Yeah. What's that backdrop? That's a pretty cool. It's like, uh, it's just very theatrical. It's just my curtains. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I, you know what? I will say this. I love to like work on the floor. Like when I was in, when I was in high school, when I was in college, I always used to sit on the floor, like up against like my, my bed and I would just work. And so it became a thing. So I don't have a desk. I use it, uh, like, a um, one of those desk. Yeah. Yeah. Like a tray, like you would have Mm -hmm. like for like breakfast in bed (laughs) and that was my desk. And I sit on the floor and I have like a little pillow set up here. And, um, I will say my cats love it because they just get to come and like chill with me while while I work. So yeah, it's just my curtains. (laughs) So you're on the floor right now. I'm on the floor right now. Yeah. Wow. Do you get any (laughs) back problems from that? Uh, Not, not so far. I mean, Oh, that's good. Um, You know, it's funny because I was thinking about this the other day because I was watching TV. I was sitting on the floor leaning against my couch. And like, as a kid, I grew up, I had two older brothers and a younger sister. So we were a family of six and, you know, back then, like kids didn't all like retreat to their bedrooms, to their devices or a TV in their room or anything. So like the, everybody would be downstairs watching TV and there was never enough room on the couch. So you found your way to, you know, you had a good spot on the floor, but th- it was comfortable on the floor. You could set up a pillow against the couch and you were good to go. That's right. I've, I all just right. never left that face. <laughs> That's good. Uh, real quick, before we kind of get to uh, some specifics about World Juniors and a ton more. Yesterday was National Women in Sports Day. 
what what got you into first let's talk about what how hockey got its hooks into you how did that happen where did it happen why did it happen my parents raised me right yes so they were flyer fans growing up Yeah, the long version well my mother was a flyers fan she grew up in philadelphia and my father was a bruins fan he grew up in connecticut um before the whalers were a thing so um they both liked hockey my my mom you know fell in love with the game watching the broad street bullies and winning stanley cups and um in fact one of their first dates was a Flyers-Bruins playoff game. And my mom had gotten tickets to Ovations, which, you know, if you don't know, it was the club at the Spectrum at the time. Down below. Yes. And uh, what's interesting is the Flyers were on the verge of being swept by the Bruins. I don't remember if – I don't remember in the story if it was game three or game four. But the Bruins scored, and my dad cheered at Ovations. Uh-oh. And my mother was like, Robenheimer, get your coat. We're leaving. We're and here. now my my parents had only been dating for like maybe six weeks at this point. And uh, my mom said, but that's when I, I knew I loved your father. I was like, how so? You were pissed at him. Yeah. <laughs> and she goes, yeah, but I didn't want to dump him. I just didn't want him to embarrass me. So, um, yeah. And then they got married um, the that December. And um couple years later, I came along and they had season tickets to the Flyers. And uh, my dad was actually a picture framer uh, for the Flyers. He was the team picture framer. Um, so like if you were to go down in the locker room and have like your team photos or any kind of photos around the locker room, uh, my dad had done the framework for that. And um, so we had uh, Flyers and um, uh, the Holmgrens were in my dad's um uh, uh, store all the time to get things framed. And, um, I loved Brad Marsh. In fact, I, if, if the story is correct, I don't recall it, but if the story is correct, I told his wife that I was going to marry him someday. Mm. Um, I was like, you know, six, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I grew up watching the flyers. Um, but it wasn't until I was in about seventh grade when I discovered that there was a difference between being a hockey fan and being a flyer fan and that they were not necessarily synonymous. And um, there were these boys in my seventh grade class who were talking about the flyers and um, you know, I'm very opinionated and I have no problem sharing my opinions. So I'm hearing these guys talk about, you know, they piped in with my two cents and I was like, well, actually blah, 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 blah. And uh, you know, one of them told me to shut up and I was stupid and I didn't know anything. And, um, I was like, okay. And, and, and then he took my, okay, like my indifference to his, you know, challenging my opinion, um, as a challenge. And so he's like, I bet you, you can't name three players on the team. And I was like, challenge accepted. So yeah. I rattled off the entire roster and he was like, you still don't know anything just cause you know their names. I was like, okay. Um, so then that night there was an amazing game. I, I, I still struggle. I mean, it's been a long time, but it was either like Detroit and St. Louis or Detroit, Colorado, something to that effect. And um, the game went into overtime and it was just like such an incredible game. Like it was so good. And um, so I come into school the next day and I'm so excited to talk about this game, like with these guys. And I was like, Hey guys, did you watch the hockey game last night? And the, the one dude, He's like, see, guys, I told you she didn't know anything. The Flyers didn't even play last night. I was like, who cares about the Flyers? Like, this game was amazing. And that is when I realized that just because, you know, you're a Flyers fan doesn't mean you enjoy hockey. You you just enjoy the Flyers. And so for me, it's always been all of hockey, any team, any game, anywhere, I'll watch it and and enjoy it. And um, so when I was in high school, I had a teacher we were in study hall and, you know, we were all like kind of talking about colleges and what we wanted to study and how do you choose what you want to do for the rest of your life at 17? Like that's insane. I still don't know. I'm almost right. Like, (laughs) like you felt like it was the weight of the world. Like this is the the most important decision of your life. And the guy said to me, or the guy, the teacher said to us, um, find something that you love to do 
and something that you would want to do every day for the rest of your life and then figure out how to get paid to do that. And I was like, well, dang, if I could get paid to watch hockey, like, that would be amazing. Yeah. So that's what I went to school for. I went to the University of Massachusetts. I studied journalism and sports management. I worked for the hockey team while I was there. I absolutely loved it. Um, and I have been in the hockey media for, um, I think this is my 14th or 15th season and I haven't worked a day and I yeah. absolutely love it. You know, you're so right about that when you say there's Flyers fans and then there's hockey fans mm -hmm. and you know, like I get excited for the first day of the playoffs, whether the Flyers make it or not, would it make my job easier if they were in it and more exciting? Absolutely. And, and it would make my existence with social media and everything a lot more enjoyable. But I still love the first day of the playoffs because of the first round of the playoffs. And it has nothing to do with the Flyers. I'll go to the rink and watch a U16 showcase, my local rink here in Westchester at Iceline, because I just love watching the game at all levels. You know, hockey's a beautiful sport when it's played right. And when you see it played right, I don't care what level they are. It's fun to watch. And that, that's the, always the way I've always had like a romantic relationship with it. Although we broke up for a little bit um, for a couple of years, I just had to step away, but um, I'm still just involved. I'm at the rink every day. I was there last night. My son, I coach his midget team. It's, it's why I love it. And the sports got its hooks in me um, in, in, in so tight that it's ridiculous. And, and so funny ovations too. I used to, my mom would drop me off at ovations because my dad worked in the city and we had season tickets. And I would meet him there and he'd be down there with all his work buddies. And I'd go up and watch pregame warm-up. And I'd be up there watching, you know, Wayne Gretzky be walking out of the, the Zamboni tunnel at the end of the rink back then, right? At the spectrum and get to see all these great guys and great players. It was incredible. Um, you know, you've been covering the game at all levels too. You, you know, you do a lot with the world juniors. You've covered college hockey uh, quite a bit. You know, what's the difference now between the young players like you've been doing this for 15 years now but what's the difference in those 15 years from the, the players that are on the cusp of being draft eligible or even just in their first year after being drafted compared now to 15 years ago because they seem more ready on and off the ice than they've ever been for the pro game and for what comes with the program from just you know people pulling on you media and all that stuff well, there's definitely a, a shift. And part of that has just been over time, how do players gain an advantage? So uh, it used to be that there really was no development. It was, you know, your draft year was just raw talent and teams would evaluate what you, what they could do to help you get even better. And, and, you know, what were the areas of their game that they could um, really fine tune. And now you're seeing, again, because of that desire for a competitive advantage, you're seeing a lot of the development tools that players wouldn't really have access to until after they were drafted. They now have access to them before they were drafted. They have access to them at 14 instead of 18. And for that reason, you are seeing players more and more prepared uh, within their draft year um, and then being able to make the jump within two to three years instead of, you know, potentially five years and going to the AHL and having that kind of, um, I call it a marinating process. Um, so I think that's what it is. And then plus the other thing too, is again, people looking for different, different things to do. There didn't used to be skating coaches. Like that yeah. wasn't a thing. Skills coaches. And, yeah. Yeah. Skills coaches, skating coaches. Um, the, the, and then you also have to look at the development of technology, you know, a skating treadmill. That wasn't a thing, yeah. you know, like only the elite, only the professional teams could afford a skating treadmill, you know, kind of thing. So all of these things, it's, it's the desire to gain that competitive advantage. It's the advance in technology. It's the increased accessibility to these tools that have all you know, contributed to players being more prepared. And then again, when you get all of that, like kind of that's all on ice. And then now uh, you've seen over the past decade, the expansion of the mental game and 
um, the development of, uh, you know, watching more film and analyzing your game. And, and, um, so there's this whole off ice component too. And you throw in nutrition and weight training and, you know, like these are all things that, um, are, are relatively new. And I'm going to add on to that, the, um, growth of year round hockey as well. Instead of just having hockey being a three month sport for, you know, you as a youth player, you now have your rec league team for the fall. You have a rec league team, you know, in the winter, which carries into spring. You've got summer leagues, you've got travel, you know, like, and, and not only that, but there's so many more teams. So then you have more tournaments, you know, like, so there's, everything is just more, um, and more ice, frankly. Yeah, exactly. More, yeah. more access to ice because there are more rinks because there are more people interested. Um, so it's all part of growing the game and it's all part of um, the process in terms of developing more elite players. So more comma elite players. Yeah. And like what we see in Detroit and obviously in Michigan with, you know, the USNTDP, it's just gone to another level and taking USA hockey through the roof. I mean, we're going to see again in this year's draft class, if you look at the mock drafts, USA hockey and the NTDP are going to be well represented once again, you know, getting to cover that and the growth of that. What's that been like? Because I mean, just a couple of years ago, that Caulfield draft and Cam York and all those, all those players that came out of the NTDP, was absolutely insane. I mean, it was invading the first round. It was like almost like, you know, standing up and saying, okay, we have really arrived now at a different level. We cannot be thought of as the, you know, the, the little stepson, a hockey country to Canada or to Russia anymore. And it was, I mean, it's amazing to see the growth of US, USA hockey, both the men's game, boys game and girls games. Well, I, I will say this. If you thought that that draft was their, like, coming out party, you were late to the party. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, it's it's one of those things where I actually answered this question on um, Elite Prospects. We do a, a Q&A, and somebody asked about the, the program. Like, why is it that – why have other countries adopted this model? And I'm like, it works. So, yeah. basically, USA Hockey was awful at international competition awful. And they said, we need to do something to be better. And so they decided that they were going to start from the bottom and hope that it trickled up. So they were going to to better target elite level youth players that they could then put their resources in to develop them as elite talent and then hope that that trickled up into their men's program. So that is how it started. And you know, in the beginning, it was really just getting everybody together and having them be able to play against tougher competition, which would then help them to be better hockey players. And so that has since evolved. And now, obviously, they have USA Hockey in Michigan, um, in Plymouth, and um, they have a tremendous training facility, top of the line, everything. They usually get to test out new products, new equipment, um, you know, because companies will will call them and say, hey, can you try this out? Give us feedback. Let us know. Um, so they really get to try a lot of new things. They have a nutritionist. They have a skating coach. They've got a strength and conditioning team. Um, their, their staff, in terms of uh, the coaches that they have, are incredible. Um, access to their own ice. Now they have their own um, – well, they always had like a, a education liaison, and now – because of COVID, they realized that they could accomplish a lot more and the kids could have a much better uh, hockey school life balance yeah. if they took them out of school. Because, you know, obviously last year they couldn't go to physical school. So they did everything online. And they're like, man, you know, the kids can actually have a life if we take them out of physical school. Let them, let them, you know, study for four hours, knock it out. Then they can train for three hours and they're still home by three, four o'clock. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so that is something that has changed. Um, but you know, they wanted to start winning at the U18 level, which they have done consistently. They're always in the mix for a medal. Um, and then, and then once you saw that, I mean, the 2004, this program started in, in 1999. So if you think about it, the players that were a part of that, like initial class, 
um, laid the, the groundwork for more players to come because you have to think about it. Like when this was a thing, you know, why would I leave home? You know, I'm going to be, you know, the star on my prep team. And so, and then especially like the Minnesota schools, you know, they're like, no, like I've, I've, I grew up dreaming of playing for, you know, Blaine or whatever. Yeah. Minnesota high school hockey is an enormous, it's like, it's like Friday night lights in Dallas. Exactly. And so, you know, it was a big deal for those players go and commit to the U S national team development program. But then, you know, they laid the foundation started to get, you know, more people saying yes. And then, you know, the first gold medal for USA at at world juniors was 2004. That is a direct reflection of the, the growth of the U S national team development program. And then, you know, 2010, 2013, 2017, like you just keep adding to the list. Um, and, and you're seeing it there. And then I'll also say, cause some people are saying, Oh, you know, at the men's level, the men's team almost never medaled at world championships. And it was really only like the Olympic team when you, it was like the best of the best that would, you know, be in the conversation, but USA hockey, because of their growth and their development, you know, like they've been a medal contender for a a long time at the world championships. Now the challenge for them has been, um, the most of the elite American players are still in the playoffs. (laughs) Yeah. So they got got this little thing called chasing a cup going on. Yeah. So, so that has been the challenge for them. And so for USA hockey, it's still always, we want more elite level players. And uh, so, so that's the strength of it. And then also it's just fun um, listening to how other countries have utilized this program. You know, the Czechs now have a national U 20 team. The Mm. Russians have a national U 20 team. Um, Nobody else has a national U 18 team. Like, the United States does, but they do have a lot more development. And um, I do know that when USA hockey hosts the summer showcase, typically in, you know, late July, early August, every year, they, they relish being able to showcase their facility, uh, their, their training operations, you know, everything that they have available to their players. Um, And I know that it's definitely something that other countries are looking to see how they can adapt it to what, the resources they have available um, for their players at the same age. Yeah. We're seeing like peewee age kids make the determination that hockey's the sport and then it becomes all year round, you know, putting away the baseball glove and, you know, whatever else, maybe basketball, whatever basketball is tough for hockey players because it's the same season. But, you know, a lot of players make that commitment that young and get the individual skill coaches that young. I don't know how I feel about some of that. It's a little young for me, but, and there's transferable skills with other sports. But let's talk about this year's World Juniors because it kind of happened, I guess. (laughs) Not really, but it started. But what's the latest on the World Juniors? And will they pick this up and get this tournament in? And and how will things proceed over the next calendar year when it comes to the WJC? Well, they, as soon as they canceled it, you know, they had talked about the possibility of rescheduling it. And in theory, that sounds like a great idea. In actuality, I have a lot of questions. (laughs) It's almost clumsy in actuality, isn't it? Yeah, like there are so many things, you know, we had talked about it the other day at the game where I was just like, A, some players aren't going to be available, whether that be potentially because of injury, whether that be potentially because they've signed NHL contracts, um, whether it be because they decided they'd rather focus on their training to prepare for an NHL season. Um, I'm looking at guys like Maddie Beneers and Jake Sanderson, um, who would have been key cogs of Team USA, um, who may not be available. And, um, And then at the same time, like, do you keep the same roster? So, for example, a guy like Logan Cooley, he was going to be potentially their third line center. You know, he, he's draft eligible this year. He's, he's only 17. He only made the team because there was an injury and they needed a replacement. So does that guy who was supposed to make the team make the team instead of yeah. him? Yeah. You got to so get through the selection I, it, process and break kids hearts twice. Exactly. And, <laughs> and not only that, like it, what if you made the team the first time and 
didn't make it the second time. Like there's just so much going on that yeah. I'm, I'm very curious to see how it plays out. Um, and then at the same time, it's supposed to happen in August. There's the Holinka. There's um, a plethora of uh, uh, um, evaluation camps for U-20s that normally happen. The World Junior Summer Showcase usually happens at that time. The Czechs, the Russians, the Swedes, and the Finns also have a tournament that they that they participate in in late August. Um, the Holinka. I don't know if I mentioned that, yeah, but that's not, up, yeah. yeah, that's not the same um, – group of players but from a scouting perspective it's the same scouts yeah. so uh, you know like there's just a lot of of unknowns and a lot of questions and you know it, will it be the same when it's in july or august instead of december and january and then not only that but i also feel that that screws things up in terms of the cycle of preparation for the, for next, one. the next one yeah, exactly. which would be December, which would be just four months later. Yeah, and then and then you know as soon as you get done, you're pivoting to start your invitation process. Your, you know, the whole process of putting another roster together for what is going to be just four months away. And it's yeah, it does seem a little clumsy. It seems I mean, look, COVID screwed everything up, and it continued to screw up the WJC this year. And it's like no, one of those tournaments. I'm going I'm to push back on that. COVID. You know no, COVID did not screw up the WJC. What screwed up the WJC was lack of planning and preparation. They yeah. had a proven method of what they needed to do in order to make that tournament secure. And they chose not to do that. And that was so, the NHL model of the bubble, right? Well, not only the NHL model of the bubble, it's what they did last year. Mm -hmm. In having all of the teams in one hotel, and they were the only people in that hotel. The people that worked at the hotel stayed at the hotel. They didn't go home and come back every day. They yeah. lived there for the two weeks. Well, that why why were they so kind of lax this year about it? And, you know, they proved it could work the year prior when USA ends up. Because they thought up... they could get away with it. And it was cheaper. I don't know necessarily that it was cheaper. Because you're still paying for like the hotel space, but instead of paying for three hotel, you know, the same yeah. space in three hotels, it's just all in one. Um, I don't, I, so I, I, I won't, I don't buy into the, you know, financial debate of that. Yeah. I just think that they thought they could get away with it. And what infuriates me is, you know, they canceled the, the women's um u18 event and you know like all they, they canceled these other events and they and and the argument was why are you canceling the women's and not the men's and they're like well this is our marquee event like this this makes money for us the the world juniors and the uh, men's world championship and to the extent the u18 men's tournament as well at least breaks even if not makes money so those are the events that they had to to make sure that they went off without a hitch because the money that is earned in those events funds the IIHF. Yeah. Like, you know, like they're not necessarily like lining pockets. Like that is how the IIHF financially exists. So when you have a marquee event like that, that is so fundamentally important. Yeah. Why would you risk it? Yeah. It seems it doesn't it seems make silly. any sense. And they yeah. and they sit there and they say, oh, well, the variant, you know, was kind of a late thing, which is true because the you know the the surge didn't really happen until like the middle of December but still you you know what works you know that there are are variables that anything can happen why as a as an organization as a an organizing committee why would you risk it like that yeah. And then the other thing too is that the players and the teams were informed that this is how the, it was going to be just like last year and then they get there and it is not like last year. There are other people in their hotel, you know, like uh, they would ask people to put their masks on. Like if they were in the elevator, they would ask people not to come on the elevator. They would ask people to put their masks on if they were in the elevator, you know, like things like that. And that shouldn't be up to the players or the staff or the coaches or anything like that should just be this is how it is. And it should be my cat is here to say hello. <laughs> Hello, so if you see a tail, that's, <laughs> that's who it is. Um, and, uh, uh, so I, I, like you can blame COVID, but honestly, 
you're you're misplacing the blame. It belongs on the organizing committee and how they failed this tournament. Wow, that's yeah. Well, you know, I think you you got to take the safer route, and they chose not to, and and they paid a price because then you know everything got shut down with in regards to it, and so that'll be it'll be it'll be fascinating how they kind of move forward with this, and if we see it in in August. I mean, I like hockey in August because at that point I'm like chomping at the bit. You know, I'm kind of going like, all right, I've had enough of this summer crap. You know. Well, it is, but at the same time, it's it like the the beauty of it being in in December and January is that the players are in game shape. The players yeah. have been playing, you know, like and we always talk about summer hockey and how, you know, oh, they were good, but it was summer. Yeah. They haven't played. Sloppy. You know, exactly. And like that's going to be your tournament? Come on. Yeah. It, it's I like that's why I like watching, you know, whenever, whenever they do it, the World Cup of Hockey in August, it, the beginning of it is very sloppy and very wide open. But as you go through it, it gets tighter and tighter because there's more on the line. You're looking at the best on best. That's best players in the world. Um, but, you know, at that point, I'll, I'll take any hockey as long as I'm still going to get the regular World Juniors in December so I can have that feeling back then. Because I love it. Like Christmas Eve, you know, I'm watching a game, you know, like I'll watch the Czech Republic play slovakia or something you know yeah so well the other interesting part of it too is the players are going to have potentially more experience you know like Mm -hmm. what if you what if you have a maddie veneers and you know he uh is now playing at the olympics he could potentially you know at least compete for if not win a national championship with michigan he could sign with seattle you know if they allow him to participate, think of how much better of a player he's going to be in August than he was in December and January with, yeah. with all of that added experience under his belt. Yeah, so, these are huge developmental years for them. And even six months makes a huge difference going to play at Michigan yeah. and everything that goes with it. And so no, I, no doubt, totally I, agree. Yeah. So I sit there and I say like, you know, the tournament and the, the level that you see now is going to be totally different than what you would have seen in January. Hmm. Um, let, let me ask you something, you know, you see in, in the NHL now, we're seeing it at all levels, more women being hired. We just saw Rachel Dury get hired by the Vancouver Canucks. You know, we've seen everybody from Cami Granado all over where Haley Wickenheiser is involved uh, at the NHL level with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, I mean, the integration of women into the NHL is there. Uh, it's not, you know, prevalent at this point but it's more prevalent what's your kind of your opinion on on how this has developed over the last couple of years uh, with women getting more involved at the nhl level well i'd say it's about dang time you know like there have been so many instances in my own career uh, or in my own conversations where um, people have told me that i'm not qualified to do something and i'm like simply because i didn't play in the nhl or that I'm not a scout in the NHL or that I haven't coached an NHL team or been a general manager doesn't mean my opinions aren't valid um, and my analysis is less than. And that is the thing that is really difficult. And for, you know, I never played hockey ever. I've never played. Not at all. Like not even shinny hockey. I have never played hockey. And what was frustrating to me is where I wanted to do broadcast journalism and it was twofold. I did an internship at Comcast Sportsnet in Philadelphia, which was lovely. But what I discovered was that the women that, that everybody at the time, but especially the women were, were told what to say. And I was like, mm like, I don't want to be a talking head. I, I, I know that what I have to say is worthwhile. And so that's when I pivoted to writing. And then I also pivoted to writing because I didn't want people to look at me as like the token blonde girl. And then that was exasper- exasperated when I, when I became Miss New Jersey and competed at Miss America and everybody thought that I had the opportunities in hockey because of that experience. And I'm like, uh, uh-uh, uh, no, 
that is not how this worked. I, you know, like I, I wanted to work in hockey and was working in hockey before that. And um, so I, I kind of hid behind a byline so that people didn't look at my face and, and write me off as the token yeah, blonde. Girl. Judge you based on your appearance. Yeah, exactly. And so um, one of the best compliments I ever got was I was at the Traverse City Rookie Tournament um, in September. Uh, it's an eight. Great uh, tournament. Eight, yeah, it's a great tournament. Eight NHL teams, for those who don't know it. Uh, their eight NHL teams get their prospects together. Um, they have a Western Conference and an Eastern Conference, and uh, they play round robin, and then they have a tournament to determine a winner. And it's amazing. Um, so... At that tournament, scouts are everywhere. They don't really like have a section. Like everybody's just sitting everywhere, kind of thing. And I was sitting down, and um, you know, this guy sat down next to me, and I talked to everybody. So we started chit chatting, started talking, talking about the players, stuff like that. And um, and he goes, uh, it, it, now it's intermission, like first period's over. And um, you know, he, he shakes my hand and introduces himself, and I was like, oh, I'm Julie. Uh, and oh, I said, I'm Julie Robenheimer. And um, he's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You're Julie? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, no wonder you know your stuff. He's like, I read all, all of your work. You're so good. And I was like, oh, thank you. You know? And he's like, gosh. And so then he sat down and we ended up like talking throughout the rest of the game and the next game. And um, so it's it's interactions like that, that, you know, really validate you, you know, and when you're questioning your place in the sports world, in the media world, you know, getting emails from assistant general managers saying, Hey, I read this article. It was really good. You know, you're spot on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Like, you know, and, and at one point I even had people email me saying, Hey, if, if we send our scout to this tournament, would it be better to do that or to go here, you know, to this college hockey tournament? And I was like, well, you know, these are the guys, blah, 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 you know, whatever. And, um, you know, again, it's just kind of validation. And that's why when you have, like, especially TV people say, well, you're not qualified. Like, they say to me, you're too qualified to be a host because you know too much. You know, like, and and I had one time that I, I know more than, than his current analysts. And I was like, okay, well, then let me be an analyst. He's like, oh, you're not qualified. Because you didn't whoa, play in the whoa, NHL. Whoa. Because I didn't play in the NHL. Like, if you look at NHL Network, all of their hosts and analysts, or excuse me, all of their analysts are former players, coaches, GMs, or scouts. Yeah. Every single one. Yeah. The only one that's not, I think, is EJ Raddick. He was a scout for two years for the Dallas Stars. Yeah, good point. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Yeah, you look at it, you're right. That's, it's it's like this mold that you have to fit into to, to to crack the code of being an analyst and and then and then they want to say, oh, well, we have women analysts. Yes, on occasion they do, but they are women's national team hockey players. Yeah. Also something I am not. You know what I mean? So yeah. those, those are still the challenges that you have with, with women in hockey and um, earning the opportunity. And, you know, I've been very fortunate in my career that um, my work has spoken for me in terms of what I'm capable of doing. And I've had a lot of people really just give me the ball and allow me to run with it and do what I do best. And I appreciate those people immensely. Um, You know, there was, there was one time that I was covering a world championship and I had an NHL GM come over to me and introduce himself to me. And I was like, Mm -hmm this is so backwards. And I even said this to him. I was like, this is so backwards. I should be introducing myself to you. He's like, I know and who you like, are. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, Oh no. Mr. He's Eiserman. Like, I follow you on Twitter. I feel like we're best friends. And I was like, what? And then I think of all the times I've like posted about my cat on Twitter. Um, so, you know, those he's are following things. you on a burner account though, right? Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> so those are the things that, um, you know, are, are really, really good. And I will say this, a lot of people are, and and I mean, it's worse because it's women, or when it's worse when it happens to a woman. Let's put it that way, because a lot of media people are told how stupid they are and to shut up and to stick to hockey or like whatever the case may be. Hence the name of this podcast. <laughs> I have been very, very fortunate 
And I think part of it is that I talk a lot about players that, that most fans don't know about because I have experienced none of that, literally none. And, you know, part of it, like I said, is I, I don't think people are watching college hockey. People aren't, you know, watching the lead into the world juniors like I do. So they really have no frame of reference to debate me on anything. Yeah. So, th so that could be part of it, but also, so I just feel like, you know, when you do the work and you're prepared and you pre present solid arguments to back up your opinions, yeah, you know, that's a really good thing because people may disagree with you, but they're not going to disrespect you if you've done the work. Yeah. I, I think it's like, that's the reason why this is called this stick to hockey, because I did a radio show for 20 years. And if anybody disagreed with anything I said on the NFL, football, basketball, baseball, anything else. It was shut up, dude. Stick to hockey. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. You're an accountant. <laughs> yeah. Do I tell you to stick to accounting? <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like that seems so backwards to me. Is there, is there still a goal or has there ever been a goal? And is there one now to work for an NHL team? Um, That's a yes. So <laughs> in a way, that's a yes. I can tell. So here's the thing. I, my goal has always been to have a seat at the table where decisions are made. Mm -hmm. Right. That is my goal. Um, where that table is, what those decisions are, I guess is debatable. You know, like if I were to work for an NHL team and I did, I worked for the New Jersey devils, um, for a season. Um, I was there you know, digital content host. Um, and I took the job um, with the, the mindset that I would see if I liked it. Mm -hmm. From a reporting standpoint, previously to that, I was a freelancer. So I could write about any player that I wanted on any team, anywhere. Right. I didn't have to manufacture a story. I could find the best stories and share them. And I loved that. And so ones you're passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. The ones that are worth telling, you know, yeah. and when you have a thousand players to choose from. Totally different than when you have 30 players to choose from yeah. covering one team and like, you know, they're elevator players. So you know, that was something that was different for me. Um, and during that year, I felt like I was manufacturing stories. Like I was really digging to find something interesting, something that hadn't been told before or hadn't been told in this way before. Um, so that was a big challenge. And that's why, you know, like when um, I was only there with them for a season for a couple of reasons, but the biggest reason was that my dad was sick and he was bed bound and I became his caretaker. Um, so I was able to transition back into freelancing where I could take care of my dad during the week. And, you know, you know, one or two weekends of the month, I would go out and cover hockey. And, um, you know, that allowed me a lot of flexibility, but then it also reminded me that I thoroughly enjoyed traveling. I thoroughly enjoyed spending a month, of May in Europe covering the men's world championship. I, I loved covering the world juniors. I loved being able to find the stories instead of having to, to, um, you know, figure out what we were going to talk about today. Yeah. Uh, that was different than what we talked about yesterday. And, uh, um, you know, and so, uh, my dad passed away about two years ago and that's when this opportunity with elite prospects came up. I had been working with them as a freelancer for like a decade. And, um, and so I was, it's kind of funny. I was actually telling them, I was like, Hey, you need to hire this person, this kind of person. And they're like, okay, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then um, I followed up with them. I was like, Hey, you know, have you given any thought to that? And they're like, yeah, we just think it should be you. And I'm like, uh, no, that's not, <laughs> that wasn't how, <laughs> this that was wasn't my go. intention. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't my intention. And um, so now I do less writing. But I have a seat at the table where decisions are made. And um, so that is what's exciting to me. I still get to travel. I still get to, you know, cover the major tournaments. I still get to watch and talk hockey every day. 
Um, so it's one of those things too, where I sit there and the same situation was like Rachel, right? You're not necessarily looking to get into the NHL. You're looking to just like a player, right? It's not about getting there. It's about staying there. It's about being in the right spot, working for the right organization, having the right opportunities available to you, making sure it's going to be something that you love, something that you could excel at. You know, Rachel had other offers before the Canucks, you know, job. Mm -hmm. But she didn't take them. It wasn't the right fit. It wasn't the right, uh, um, you know, support team around her or whatever the case may be. And so the same is for me. You know, like, would I want to work for an NHL team someday? Yeah, sure. I would love to have my name on the Stanley Cup. Like, I would love, like, who doesn't, right? Yeah. So the only way to do that is to work for a team. And so, um, you know, is that something that I would love to do? Yes. Is it something that I think is likely? No, because it would have to be the right situation. And, you know, a lot of stars need to align. Yeah. When you only have 32 teams, you know, like chances are are slim, but never say never. Yeah, that's right. Because there is only 32 teams and you just, you never know. Like there's just not that many jobs. It's like, you look, I want to be a goalie in the NHL. Okay, well, there's only two on a team. There's only one net. Only one gets to play per game. There's just not a lot of space. So, but you never, like you said, you never know. Uh, You like to talk hockey. We like talking it with you. I thank you so much, Julie, for joining us on Stick to Hockey Live. I won't tell you to stick to hockey, um, but we really appreciate you joining us. Your story is fascinating. And uh, I know you're at the rink all the time, different rinks, different levels, and we'll be running into each other there once again. Thanks for doing this. All right. Sounds good. Thanks so much for having me. There she is, Julie Robenheimer. Thanks, Julie. Um, And we're going to get to Tone's takes in just a second. So thanks to Julie for joining us. Awesome conversation. Uh, I love people that love hockey. And you can tell she loves hockey. She wanted to do it for a living. So awesome stuff. Awesome stuff from Julie. Thanks so much for joining us. But uh, before we get to Tone's takes, get the Park Sportsbook app because here is where you can cash in. Tone's going to give you some futures, some cup winners from each conference, some props. We give you winners on games and props inside games and all kinds of different player performance bets all the time. So open up your Park Sportsbook app now because we're about to do a little something we like to call Tone's Takes. us for another edition of tones takes at tones takes on twitter what's going on tone what's up jason how are you all-star break and yeah. frankly i think i'm good with it usually i hate the all-star break because you know the game kind of goes on hold with the exception of the all-star game but i think right now i'm ready for a break you know two yeah. straight wins for the flyers yep. you know let's not fuck it up <laughs> let's just have a couple days to enjoy it yeah, I'm with you. And usually it's a longer break, too. I mean, they're starting back up on Monday. I think usually there's at least they don't come back till Tuesday. So there's Skills Competition Friday, All-Star Game Saturday, off Sunday. And then it's only two games Monday, but at least it's something. So Yeah, and Flyers won't be back until Wednesday when they take on Detroit. They have a home-and-home with Detroit in Philly on, on uh, Wednesday and then eventually in Detroit as well for just two road games of the next like it seems like 15 games only two of them on the road of an eight game homestand after uh, they take on Pittsburgh on the road but Tony this is a good opportunity for for us to almost like exhale take a look at some of the props where when you know when the game comes back on Monday like you alluded to there's going to be this stretch run of trade up the trade deadline who's getting who what that's going to change and then you couple that with the the you know, kind of the sprint to the finish for seeding and a lot of, especially in the Eastern conference and that, and that could, I mean, seeding could be a, the biggest factor in the Eastern conference this year on who eventually, you know, is able to click round by round and get to the cup final. But let's take a look at some of the props and some of the individual player props as well. I mean, you're having a good year with the props plus 23.57 units there. Uh, let's start with your East winner though. And look, flyer fans may not want to hear this, but they are legit, and it's the Pittsburgh Penguins plus eight hundred to win the East and plus sixteen hundred to win the Cup. When they're healthy, which they're getting healthy, they're I mean they're the deepest team. It could be the deepest team in the league. Um, there's going to be a lot of a lot of condensed games coming up with the with the schedule. 
Um, so we have Malkin, who just came back a few weeks ago. He's going to be fresh. If they make a couple additions, I mean, they could use another defenseman, and they can honestly use a backup for Tristan Jari. I mean, DeSmith has been okay to pass a couple starts, but you got to have someone that you can you can kind of lean on to spell him. And if he and if Jari, if we don't get playoff Jari like we have the past couple years, we get yeah. this season Jari. He, he plays like that. I mean, I'll, at this price for the 800 to win the East and 1600 to win the cup. I mean, how can you not take a flyer on it? Yeah, and it's, it seems like that would be a team that goes, okay, Achilles last stand. Like we got one more shot at it with this yeah. core group. Exactly. And I mean, you couple that with Jeff Carter, who's got two cups as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crosby, Malkin and Latang all have three. So, I mean, the thing I, I would worry about with it is the Jari factor, right? You know, do they go into the playoffs not knowing if they're going to get playoff from last year, Jari, or this regular season, Jari, yes. or do they even look at, I mean, do they look at Marc-Andre Fleury in Chicago? You know, a little reunion there. I know Fleury's been attached to a lot of teams, but boy, that would be a hell of a story. I'm writing a good story here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, that's a great story. Him going, I mean, yeah. there's, there's no better guy in the league than Marc-Andre Fleury. Like, he's, I, like, I totally agree. Yeah, like, it's, that'll be a, a good story for him. Retire, go back to Pittsburgh. You know, as much as I hate to say it, and probably, probably hate to say it, win a cup and then, you know, see you later, retire. Like, you kind of wanted to do, I think, at the end of last year. So Yeah, and, I mean, won the Vesna last year, too, and then was available. That's so rare that a goalie wins the Vesna and that yep. summer you know, changes teams. Uh, the team you like out of the West here and at a plus 700 number is the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, I think, you know, a big part of this is going to be on Eichel and his return, what he's going to be when he does come back, assuming he does, and all of that. And, you know, you look at the goaltending situation there, Robin Lehner, another part of the equation, uh, no Marc-Andre Fleury, like the last time they went to the finals. So you, you kind of lean in uh, on the Vegas Golden Knights here. They got a good team. They do, yeah. I mean, just like we talked about with the schedule, Eichel's going to be fresh. He's going to have time to kind of get acclimated. I mean, they're going to have to make a move to clear cap space, whether it's going to be Riley Smith or March or so. Uh, I mean, you're putting Jack Eichel in the lineup. I think, you know, they'll be they'll be okay with that. They have a good defense. I mean, if, if Leonard holds up, I mean, he took the job from Flurry in the bubble, you know, and they came up a little short in the conference final. But if he, he's another one, if he if he holds up, I mean, I like the price on 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 this because I mean, Colorado. I don't think Colorado has the goaltending. St. Louis, they they're leaning Huso now. He's been playing well. Bennington's kind of up and down. Minnesota yeah. doesn't have the goaltending. I mean, you know, Vegas. It's uh, it's their conference to win. I think. Yeah, we'll see what Colorado does. You get the feeling they're either going to get a, a big-time forward, maybe Giroux, or right. they're going to go goaltending. And it's just a question of which one. Uh, that goaltending is going to get you by in the regular season with that team. That team's a wagon up front. But right. uh, we'll see what they can do come playoffs because the game is so different. Let's look at the Hart Trophy because th- this is a fascinating discussion because you have McDavid and Dreisaitl who pile up points like ridiculous numbers and we see them play we see the highlights but their team may not make the playoffs and then you look at a guy like Jonathan Huberdeau and what's going on down in Florida at plus 650 Ovechkin has been unbelievable this year in all facets of his game and I mean you gotta even maybe look at a guy like Nazem Kadri at some mm-hmm. point here as well but yep. uh, what, what are you leaning here for the heart uh, Jonathan Huberdeau at plus 650 it's the third best odds he leads the league with 64 points um, Bennett has missed time. Barkov has missed time this year. Hoobie's pretty much played the whole season and it's, he's having a, like a breakout year. He's always was a talented player, but I know there's a lot around them, but he kills penalties. He's a great defensive forward. I mean, at, at plus 650, I mean, that's, that's definitely, you know, something to, something to look at because like you said, I mean, Edmonton may not even make the playoffs. Um, Ovechkin's had a great year, especially with all the injuries they've had, but, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with that team coming up? I think there's a ton of value in this Uber Dobet. Yeah, I mean, if you if Edmonton doesn't make the playoffs, I don't want to see McDavid or Dreisaitl's name in the top three. Right. Because you have two of the best players on the planet, and you're not going to make the playoffs. So, right. well, you know, you can go, well, you know, the MVP should be predicated on what the team would be without those guys. They'd still be a, not a playoff team is what they'd be. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, Huber think the other thing about him is, you know, that – moniker followed Barkov around for years the best player in the nhl nobody knows about right mm-hmm. uberdo has been there longer and he is a really really good player so uh i like that i like that play i think there's like almost a sympathetic feel for him too because right. all those years in florida uh right. the richard the rocket richard trophy 
Kreider, how about the numbers he's putting up? He scores again last night, and you look at Chris Kreider, and he got off to a hot start. The shooting percentage was like 20%. You go, that's going to cool off. It hasn't. Mm-hmm. We like his number here? Yeah, plus 375. He's fourth behind Dreisaitl, Matthews, and Ovechkin. <clears throat> uh, leads the NHL with 33 goals. Uh, he's been consistent all year. He's only gone more than two games without scoring a goal once, and that wow. was five games. I mean, that's crazy when, when you think about that. Uh, he's on that power play, 17 power play goals, leads the league. At Rangers, Rangers power play, I think it's fifth or sixth best in the NHL. Uh, I mean, if you <laughs> plus 2,002 to win a heart, I mean. <laughs> Is he really? Yeah, I mean, it's, wow. you know, it's usually just, just goal scorers, they usually don't win that trophy. But, I mean, you know, why not? I mean, he's going to have to keep scoring goals for this Ranger team because I know Shersherskin, you know, covers up a lot of their deficiencies so the Rangers, they're gonna have to keep keep scoring scoring goals to win games i think so yeah they, they give up the raiders give up a fair amount of high danger chances but shesterkin has been so good you, yeah. you look at any of the goalies for the heart because it's rare that a goalie wins it and some people go the goalies have their own trophy it's the vesna stay out of the heart conversation but i mean i think that Kerry price should have won the heart the year after he won the heart because he missed a bunch of games and the team was absolute dog. You know what? Yeah. And it just showed how important he was when he was in his prime. But do you look at a guy like Shesterkin? And I, I know some people have mentioned him in that conversation for the heart because the Rangers, I mean, it's, this is, I think it's a total team turnaround, but he's probably been one of the biggest elements of it. He, he along with Kreider. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just, he's a, been a big part of that team. You could kind of make a case for Campbell too, even though he's uh, he kind of yeah. he's kind of slowed up a little bit. But that's another team needs to get a backup goalie because they're, they're leaning on too much. But both those the Rangers and the Leafs, both of them, like their metrics are not good. The goaltenders cover up a lot of their a lot of their issues on defense. So I mean, I mean, but Shesterkin's a monster at home, especially. I think he last time I looked at, it, I think he has like a. 9.6 save percentage at home or something, or 0.960 save percentage at home, somewhere around that line. Yeah, that's like, ob- it's obnoxious. Yeah, it's in, it's insane. Yeah, and he just moves so good. And he's such a good fun player. to watch. He's he's a fun goalie to watch. I, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, we got these Flyers and the uh, the Rangers and the Penguins in our division. It's like you know, these, those teams are fun to watch. As much as uh, hate to admit it, you know. Yeah, if you look at the goaltending in in the Metropolitan Division going forward. Pre- uh, let's say Mackenzie Blackwood pans out pretty good for New Jersey. So you'd have Mackenzie Blackwood. You have Samsonov in uh, Washington, good Russian young goaltender. Uh, you got Sorokin on the island, who is going to be is already really good and going to be absurd, I think, as well. Shosturkin, Hart. Yep. I mean, you look at like Carolina's got Freddie Anderson, but you look at you know if you don't have goaltending in that division, I don't. I think it's going to be a separator for all these teams, but. It, you know, the Flyers have gotten good goaltending out of heart this year, but it hasn't buoyed them in the standings. It's almost unfathomable that that right. hasn't happened. That, yeah. That's always, like you said last year, right, Tony? You looked at it and you go, if they can just shave their goals against, get good goaltending, shore up their defensive environment a little bit, they're going to be a team that, you know, makes a big jump in the standings. They've gotten that, and they still right. haven't done it because they can't score. Yeah. Yep. It's nuts. It drives me bananas. Uh, there you go. Tone's Takes, another edition. Thanks, Tone. Uh, at Tone's Takes on Twitter. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Jason. All right, there Appreciate you go. Another edition of Tones Takes. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Tones Takes. Make sure you follow Parks on Twitter, at Parks Sportsbook. Make sure you follow them on Instagram, on YouTube, on Facebook. You name it, follow them, because you'll get daily specials, great content, and much more. And while you're at it, do yourself the big favor, and that is to download the Parks Sportsbook app, because it is simple to use. It is easy to navigate. It'll go right on your iPhone or your Android. And you don't need some silly promo code to get a great deal. Now, here's the deal. Just download the app, open it up, create an account, deposit your first bet risk-free up to $500. Now, you can jump in on some of those NHL futures. You can jump in coming up next week for one of the most bet weekends in the calendar year. Of course, the big game uh, in the NFL. Uh, You can get in on the basketball action, college and pro, player performances, halftime scores, all that kind of stuff. It's all there laid out for you, all easy to use, all easy to navigate, and just open up an account, deposit, and your first bet, like I said, is risk-free up to $500. So, again, give them a follow on Twitter, at Park Sportsbook. Give them a follow on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook as well. My voice is kind of going away here on it. 
and you will not regret it. So, everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of the Stick to Hockey Live podcast. We'll be back Monday with another brand new one. Tuesday, an Ajis episode with Harry Mays. And next Thursday, another Stick to Hockey Live. Everybody, have a great All-Star weekend. We'll be back at it coming up on Monday. We'll talk to you then. Have a great weekend.